So when I think about sharing before you're ready, it's about taking the idea of leaders in companies know the answer and kind of cutting that out and saying, no, it's leaders in companies learn the answer. And anybody can be a leader. Hey, Powder Keg fans. Welcome to episode 74 of Powder Keg Igniting Startups, the show for entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators building remarkable tech companies and communities outside of Silicon Valley. I'm your host, Matt Hunkler, and today we have two leaders from one of the Midwest's hottest tech companies. Their mission? Help teams do better work through web learning software. They're both experts in building team cultures where everyone scales their learning together, but that's not why they're here today. Uh, We are going to talk about B2B marketing campaigns. We're going to talk about their mission and about some of the ways that they've been able to take their own internal culture and turn it into uh, almost more of like a movement. Um, It's a really cool story. I'm excited to share it with you today. And our two guests are first up, the VP of Marketing at Lessonly and Executive Advisor at OpenView Venture Partners. He cut his teeth in senior marketing positions at Exact Target and Salesforce. And an entrepreneur himself, he brings a venture mindset to B2B marketing. Really hope uh, that I don't get lost in his dreamy blue eyes on this particular podcast. Please help me welcome to the show, Kyle Lacey. Thank you. Excited to have you here today. Uh, Next up, we have co-founder and CEO of learning software company Lessonly, a high alpha studio company, uh, currently helping more than 400 companies create smart, high-performing teams. And the motto is, every day I am grateful I got cut from the basketball team two years in a row. Uh, Love that model. So excited to welcome him back to the show, Max Yoder. Thanks for being here, man. Matt, thanks for having me, man. Of course. Uh, really excited to dive into this um, because Lessonly, when you come into this building, which I should probably tell the listeners that we are in the Lessonly offices right now, in Max's office. But as you walk through the halls of here, you see people uh, going from meeting to meeting. Uh, you can tell that they're on a mission. And uh, it really kind of shows not just from the internal culture, but everything you see externally. Um, and I, I know you from way back when, when you were running Lessonly out of your apartment in Broad Ripple. But it seems like from the very beginning, uh, there really was more of like a, a purpose and a mission behind what you were doing at Lessonly. Can you maybe take me back to sort of like how that all evolved and and, sure. and how you personally connected with it? Yeah. So we took a little while to create or to kind of formalize the mission of Lessonly around, around doing better work and helping people live better lives. Uh Mitch Causey joined the, the company as the third employee January 13th of like 2014. And he was like, he said, what's our why? And I said, I'm not sure because we have what, 20 some odd customers. Um, it's just, I didn't know what to tell him. And I didn't, I felt really uncomfortable about making one up. Uh, and he, he was really interested in, uh, if I know the why I can do everything else. And I said, I don't know the why yet. You have to be patient. He was very patient. It took us a year and a half, two years. It took us a while to figure out, oh, what we really do is we help people do better work. And when they do better work, uh, that transcends just their work environment. And they walk out of work, they go home, they're engaging with their cust- or with their with their families, uh, with their friends, uh, with their loved ones. And uh, they are bringing that spirit, that levity, and that uh, excitement of being good at their jobs home with them. Maybe for those who aren't familiar with Lesson Lee, could you just give us the quick elevator pitch on how Lessonly helps people do better work. Yeah, it's really awesome because it's a direct connection. What we do with Lessonly is we we make training software, and what in, what we do is we sell our training software to, to, to our to sales teams and customer service teams. They put content or learning into that training software or practice opportunities in the training software that say, "Here's what we need you to do to be a great salesperson." Salesperson goes, "Great. Now that I understand how to do it, I'm more likely to do it." So it's really just all about communicating what you need people to do. That's what training software does. What works. 
when people know what works, they're likely to do it. And Lessonly helps people understand what works. And because they know what works, they're likely to do it. They tend to hit their numbers faster, tend to just be better at their jobs. How did things change once you sort of figured out that why and honed in on do better work? It was really, it was pretty slow. I mean, I, I would like to bring Kyle in to talk about how he really took the internal mission of doing better work that we've very, very much believed in and, and talked about often internally and really said other people are attracted to this. They just don't really know what they're attracted to because we're not telling them explicitly do well, that's what we do is help people do better work. Like there's, they're engaging with something here. Kyle helped us really uh, put what they were engaging with into more definitive terms so they could uh, even be more excited about it. Well, and I'd love to bring you back in a second to talk a little bit about sort of that culture that you've created here. But Kyle, you joined the team here. Uh, how long ago at this point? Uh, two years. Is it already two years? I yeah, remember when that crazy. happened. Um, that is crazy. So talk to me about what your experience was coming into Lessonly. What was the, the culture like here? And uh, in terms of what, what did you see to take what was working and, and really scale yeah. it? Well, I, I think what's different about Lessonly than most software companies that I've been involved in is that there is a human element that started at the very beginning with the first three that has scaled to now 110 people, which in, in the scheme of things is very rare with any venture-backed software company. It's really, really hard to scale a culture um, that is as human as it is here at Lessonly. Um and so when we were when we were thinking about how do we differentiate, how do we make Lessonly look different than everybody, all of our competitors, we were constantly putting up the same things like we increase productivity, sales teams love us, here's our customers, like every single website on the face of the planet, every single software site. And so when we were thinking about how to differentiate, we, and to Max's credit, I'm pretty sure we were sitting in this room and he was like, let's just bring the human back to Lessonly. And it kind of hit us all at once. It was like, well, it's, it's do better work. And then it was even further solidified when we were talking to a book publisher with Max's book coming out and trying to figure out the title for it. And she said, well, why don't you just call it do better work? It's in your mission. And we're, <laughs> and it was kind of like everything happened at once where it made sense to us that we, if we wanted to sell something meaningful, it is to help people do better work so they can live better lives. And then it cascaded from there with all the campaigns that we do and Max's book coming out uh, soon. And, you know, that's that is where it started. It's how do you personify a company and take what Max and Connor and Mitch started from the very beginning and scale it? Talk to me a little bit more about marketing, Kyle, because you're one of those people I've followed since the very beginning. You know, when I moved to Indianapolis 10 years ago, you were running your agency at that time. Uh, huge follower of of uh, everything you did, tried to mimic what you were doing on social media, which was like the new thing at the time. Yeah. Um, and, and good you, or bad. <laughs> and you, well, I mean, you have done an amazing job of, of taking uh, a lot of that and keeping up with the, the latest, uh, uh, latest way to communicate and not just using it just to use it, but being really intentional. Uh, you, you use the word differentiate. Why is it so important to differentiate? I, I mean, maybe that seems like just obvious you have to do that. Um, but it's, it's also really hard to do. Yeah. I, I think what, why it's important is that every, there are so many other options out there than before. And I, I think how we're differentiating is doing things that aren't the cutting edge stuff. Like we do a lot of direct mail. 
We do a lot of speaking engagements. We do a lot of highly curated events that's not ABM and all these things that are out there. And like and and we and we dabble in that stuff and it works, but it's it it's getting face to face and it's it's sending things. I think the word you used intentional is probably the best. It's being very intentional with how we're going about marketing, which most people don't do. And if they try to do it, they don't do it very well. We, we were just lucky as a marketing team to come into a situation where the story was already built. And it was more like we already had Ali Lama. We had the Golden Lama. We had things that were already here in the company that we saw as opportunities to scale. And if you look at our website, our tactics compared to our competitors, they're just wildly different. And the competitor's marketing is good as well. It's just we're, we're bringing a different voice to the to the table i love it max could you maybe tell us a little bit about who ali lama is and uh what the golden lama is yeah sure so uh, ali lama is our mascot uh mitch really wanted to have a mascot because he really wanted to have a mascot and i was like <laughs> i'm not sure that's a good enough reason uh and uh you know he found an alliterative uh, lessonly llama uh, uh for the reason we, we have ali lama but i was like still not a good enough reason you know alliterations and mascots uh Sounds good, but why? Uh, and ultimately, we learned that uh, the genus of the species llama. So llamas with two L's. The genus is one L. It, that 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 L A M A like Dalai Lama means guru, mentor, teacher. We make training software, so we were like, oh, that's perfect. Nice. Um, and then Mitch won, and everybody <laughs> everybody loves the llama. It's 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 really hilarious. But you know, to, to cut, and then the golden llama is the way we we bestow praise on uh the the person on the team a person on the team each quarter who just is an exemplary team player who shows compassion for 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 their teammates who really wants the success of other people as much as they want success for themselves and who really just drives uh great work drives the company forward makes a lot of progress for us is a glue for for different parts of the company we give the golden llama to them uh every quarter we give a golden llama out every quarter it's a really fun thing to to give to somebody and uh and kind of shine shower praise on them i love that can you tell me how that actually comes about? Like, is that done in a meeting? Is it done in Slack? Is it the way we give a golden llama these days? Is whomever the person's manager is uh, gets to give the honor to the person. They don't know what's happening. Uh, generally, you go in front of the company at an all team meeting, which you do every Monday, and you start talking about the person. And uh, if you don't give it away too early by saying their name, uh, people start to guess who it is. And then by the end, it's like I'm, I'm honored to give this golden llama to Helen Gardner, who won our last golden llama. Um, and people just get really excited. And, and it's never a surprise when somebody wins a Golden Llama because everybody's like, they are just tried and true, an awesome person to work with. When we talk about the culture at Lessonly, the really neat thing for us is we just get to talk about things like being compassionate to one another at work, being uh, human and vulnerable and, and, and recognizing we don't know have all the answers. Um, these are things that people do not hear about at work, uh, and, but they're, really, uh, they're things we really care about. So it's like the intersection of what's not getting talked about enough and what do we really care about and where does, where, where's that intersection where really our culture shines through. Yeah. We're not talking about treating one another well at work. So many cultures are mercenary. I had no idea. And so, I, so we started working with larger orgs. They came to me and they're like, this is just so refreshing because every day I'm wondering if so-and-so is going to uh, you know, jockey around me for position. And that to me is really a bummer. Uh, so the more we can put this out in the world, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, we, can, we can be teams. And we need to be teams if we're going to make progress. I think the better the world gets, uh, the more and more people hear that and see that it works, the more and more likely they are to do it. Even if it's just one team in a big, big company that's doing it, we want to be a little bit of inspiration to make people aware that it can work that way 
if they want it to. Well, and I love that you've been so intentional about your values and which ones you're kind of setting in stone and, you know, taking enough time to put it down on paper and, and disseminate it through the, the company. And Kyle, when you came in a couple of years ago, uh, I know that this was already kind of set in stone, but what was it about sort of this culture that made you say like, hey, this this could become a lot more than a mission. This could really become more of a, a movement and be leveraged for the sake of attracting the right customers. Yeah, I think it was that the values, you use intentional before. I can't get off the word intentional. The values were so different than what I have heard from a ton of other companies. You know, share before you're ready. And, and I that's my favorite one, of yeah, course. But absolutely. I, I just, I think that that is what instilled in me that this is different. If we put this idea into a room at an enterprise prospect at a larger company and you have Max in the room talking about do better work, it is going to sell it, right? And And outside of it just being the right way to sell something, it is good for businesses to take it on anyway. Like share before you're ready can be shared across any org. I don't care if they're a customer or not. Right. So it's fundamental to the success of, I just feel like how every business should function, um, with the values that we have here, which is why I think it's easy for us to double down on it. And it's, and it's more fun, frankly, to do marketing around, share before you're ready and do better work than, you know, that we decrease churn, which we do. And we right. do all of that. Sure. But if you didn't check different. those business boxes, yeah, there'd be nothing to talk about, yeah. but it just so happens it does those things, which is, you know, maybe the, um, the why between like why they can justify spending money on it, but it's not the why of why they chose lessonly. Yeah. The, it's the ROI is table stakes. Like if we're doing our jobs, we better be, creating return on investment. Yeah. Uh, we can do more than just our jobs. Yeah. And that's where the mission comes in. That's where the, f- the, the, the kind of philosophy of the business really brings it to a next level. We're going to help you with training. You're going to really appreciate the benefits, but there's more to it. We can bring different uh, approaches to working that transcend training uh, that help you do better work in a whole host of ways. So you're not only buying our software, you're buying ideas um, and you're buying relationships, you know, like, you, you're going to build relationships with people here long after the contract uh, sunsets. You know, like there's no contract lives on forever uh, where you're going to know people here because you got the t- chance to work with them. And that's motivating to everyone that we are creating personal relationships, that we're bringing ideas to people that we really care about. And we're doing our jobs on the fundamental level of just gl- delivering good training software. Maybe we could talk a little bit more about one of those ideas, uh, which Kyle just shared, which is share before you're ready. What does that mean to you, Max? Yeah, sharing before you're ready is just all about getting out of your own your own head and sanity checking ideas with other people early on in a process. So if I have to create a deck for the sales team that they're going to go out and use to uh, share with their prospective customers, um, I should probably talk to the sales team uh, about my ideas before I go and perfect them on the slide in the slide deck. It's not usually what happens. It's really, really basic to go out and, and kind of sanity check ideas, but it's really hard to do because we're all expected to know the answer. So when I think about sharing before you're ready, it's about taking the idea of leaders in companies know the answer and kind of cutting that out and saying, no, it's leaders in companies learn the answer. And anybody can be a leader. So the difference is you're, knowing the answer means you're supposed to know intuitively. And if you don't know, you better fake it until you make it. Yeah. Uh, but when you have to learn the answer when, or when you're allowed to learn the answer, you can ask anybody any question you want. I can go and say, hey, you're brand new here in sales. I'm putting this deck together. 
what am I missing? That person goes, this is pretty cool. Somebody cares about my opinion. And they go, looks pretty good to me. Or they say, well, this part, I don't, why did you include that? And you're like, I don't know. I thought it would be helpful. And then you talk to a few other people and they're like, yeah, why did you include that? And you start to get a trend of, it's not necessary. You're not going and perfecting something in a vacuum. You're going out and sharing it early. But it's so hard to do because we, we create that first 30 minutes or 60 minute draft. And we're like, it's not ready yet. It's not ready to share yet. And the whole idea of sharing before you're ready is you got to share it then. That's the time to share. If you don't know what to do next, if you're concerned you might be doubling down on something that isn't what people need, you should get out and talk to the people who ultimately you're going to be giving it to. If you do this well, they're going to really pick it up and say, this is gold. If you don't share before you're ready, you're likely going to end up with a dud. I definitely see how that can help people do better work. It works consistently. It's, it's agile. You know, it's just another way of talking about an agile methodology. Sure. And I think what's important is that that is built into the product. You know, like low fidelity training. You don't have to spend hours and hours and hours trying to figure out the best way to do a lesson and then, you know, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a training video that you give to people. You can do low fidelity training that works and you share before you're ready because we don't have all the answers and it's built in the, that's what's so great about the values is that most of them are just built into the product, which you don't get very often. I love how you tie it back to the product and some of the the key differentiators. Uh, Maybe you could talk a little bit more, Kyle, of like some of those core values and and, uh, things that you saw when you came into Lessonly and and how you've even like tactically brought those to potential customers or even customers that have already purchase to, to help grow, grow the relationship with them. Yeah. It, it, it goes back to do better work. So there are, there are two levels of do better work. We have the do the better work training method and we have do better work, which is more of the soft skills stuff that Max talks about. And the better work training method is how we take our values, our platform and apply them to customers. So it's more, we tried from a messaging standpoint, we tried from the very beginning to have better work involved from start to finish with a customer. And it's all about learning. It's all about practicing. It's all about performing as employees. And I think deep down, what's hit me so hard with, with Share Before You're Ready and everything we talk about lessonly is the practice element. It's like, why wouldn't employees practice? You, you guys have, I know you guys have favorite musicians. You're musicians yourself, right? They practice, you practice, right? Eh. And then we get, <laughs> I know Probably you do. Probably should more. I know you do. Um, <laughs> I've, I've seen the Instagram photos of Jeb. Um, <laughs> and then you and then you get into the workplace and it's like, nobody is talking about practice. And we spend eight to 10 hours a day here every day. And so I feel like from a values perspective, it was really easy for us to take the platform, the values, everything that we talk about at Lessonly and distill it down into a message that works and the campaigns that go off of it, whether it's the better work training plan template or the golden llama direct mail or Max's book or yellow ship, our, our conference in October, it all works together and you can't, you can't get much better than that. If a, if a, if a voice of a company can be involved in the message that clearly. Whose idea was it for uh, Max to write a book? Uh, was it me? I think it was me. It was definitely Kyle. <laughs> yeah. I always, How did that come about? Well, I always wanted to, so I was thrilled when he asked. Uh, you know, I was. Uh, my dream has been to write a book my whole life, and I thought I'd have to be retired. So when Kyle came and said, "Hey, we should, we should write a book," I was like, "That sounds great." I have a full time job. We have no idea what we're going to write about. He's like, "Yeah, we do." 
write about what we talk about, you know, write about sharing before you're ready, um, write about having difficult conversations. Uh, and at the beginning we were like, okay, great. We're going to take all these ideas that we've learned, kind of have these little vignettes. Um, and then over time it, it expanded to, there's really eight things that I think I know well enough to write about. Um, and if I didn't know it well enough, it's going to have to be in B2. It will never be at all. But through the writing process, kind of understanding what do I know well enough to write about? Uh, and if I'm forcing it, throw it out. And it became this, you know, this, this tight 120 page book that takes an hour and 15 minutes to read from start to finish, 10, minute, uh, uh, I, 10 minutes on each idea, an intro, an outro, um, really, really uh, concise. And I'm really, really proud of it. Kyle said about a year and maybe three months ago that we need to write a book. And then we set a deadline for five months later and I, <laughs> and I missed it by a mile. And then we set a deadline like three months after that. And it's just one of those things. You cannot rush writing a book. Yeah, a I lot, mean, a lot aim high, do. miss high. You still, still writing a book in a year and, and three months is a pretty amazing feat. Yeah, I, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. I was appreciative that Kyle kept giving me extensions um, <laughs> because I think there is a times when you, you, put a, you put a deadline on something and you adhere to that deadline instead of adhering to we, the, the goal, which is create a, create a great thing, right? right? And sometimes that's why because you can't just constantly push deadlines and sometimes it's like no the deadline is ours to create right and and uh, we we can push it back if we want um and it worked out well this time so it was it was the greatest gift to be to be able to write a book to write about things i really care about and to um have so much support in the company to do it and now it's ready uh and it will be out you know a, a week uh, th this will go live people will hear it at any given time in the future yeah um, at this time of the recording you know we're, we're just a couple weeks away from it being awesome. printed uh, thousands of times over in, in our hands and uh, it'll be really fun to share. But yeah, Kyle asked, I don't know if he remembers that, but he asked and people keep thinking, you know, people keep asking me, Hey, so why did you want to write a book for less? He's like, I didn't, but I, <laughs> but I really did. But I really did. You know, right. deep down, I definitely really did. But would you recommend to other CEOs that they consider writing a book? If they're excited about it. You know, if you really care about the things that you, you do at work and it pumps you up to think about sharing them with more people um, and, and, you know, first also clarifying them for yourself. There's things that I had to learn by writing. Sure. Um, and that was something that I didn't realize was the case. Uh, and I've talked to other authors since then who were like, I, you write into books. You don't have this template at the beginning that you, that you adhere to. You might start with one, and it's going to change. Um, you're going to learn so much by simply processing the contradictions that are in your head and processing the conviction that's in your head and realizing, maybe I'm not as convicted as I thought. Because I get it on the page and I read it and I don't know if I believe it as much. Or I get it on the page and I'm so fired up, I just want to say it more clearly. Um, so if somebody wants to write, write. But you know, it's like when somebody says, how do you get better at public speaking? It's like you speak about things you naturally are charismatic and excited about. Because if you're excited, other people will be excited. Uh, but if you're not, don't try. You know, because <laughs> if you're not pumped, why would you expect anybody else to be pumped? And the same with writers. Yeah. You, know, you can't write about something you don't care about and have, it, and have people go, wow, I just loved it. Uh, there has to be that energy behind it. And if there isn't, please don't write. But if there is, please do. <laughs> That's great advice. Uh, Kyle, what, uh, what was the drive behind the, the book? Why did you feel like that was uh, a good thing to spend five months on? I say that tongue in cheek knowing that yeah, it was 15 months. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's the same idea that all the campaigns that we do have. It is how do you bottle up what we believe makes this place special, the platform special, our customers special, and be able to give it to whoever we meet. And you can't do that in an ebook. You can't do that in a pamphlet. You can't a pamphlet. <laughs> Welcome to 1985 what, when I was a year, pamphlet, when I was a year old. <laughs> we, we, we did a ton of pamphlets and I was like, screw this. No more pamphlets. <laughs> We're doing a book. Um, no, it was, it was 
that's that's where it came from. It's like, how do you Max in front of a crowd owns a crowd and the crowd loves it. So how do you package that to where we can scale it past just Max in a room? And Max in a room with a book is ten times more effective than just Max in a room as well, right? So that that was that was the idea. And I feel like if you can if you can do something that again is intentional that is different than the same product marketing books that come out every single day on here's our, here's our new market segment that we're starting and here's everything about our product, then it's just different and people are going to appreciate it and it will help people lead companies in a better way than they're doing, than they're doing now. And that will be, that will make more of an impact than us handing a pamphlet with, with like we increase productivity by 50%. That's just the, that's just, that is the bottom line. I love that. I want to give Kyle some credit here because as, as excited as he was to say, Hey, we need to write a book. He never uh, looked over my shoulder and said, share it with me and let me see exactly what you're doing. Like he was really hands off in a, in a positive way. Trust. So when he finally read it, I was nervous as heck because <laughs> it was pretty close to done. And when he came back in he was like, this is, this is good. I, it was like, you know, my, I, I was really, really wanting to make him proud and he gave me space to make him proud. And then, and, it, and I, I don't know if that's normal, you know, for somebody, if the, the marketing leader is somebody who controls voice and tone a lot of the time, mm-hmm. but he allowed for space for me to speak about the things that I cared about. And he was not kind of heavy handed on how it had to be done. And I think the book benefits for that because it comes off as what I actually wanted as opposed to maybe a, done by committee. Yeah. Um, and I really appreciated that. I don't think I've ever told you that. So thank you. Kyle, how do you know when to um, give room to express creative freedom and when to kind of rein things in and say, no, we need a tight message? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like I step away by default. And I, it's just, I think it's more my personality, my leadership type than anything else, because even my team would say that we bring a project in and it's something that we really need to focus on. I give the guidelines and then I step away because there's a reason why we have Max who spent a ton of time thinking about this. We have designers like Helen who designed the book. We have people like Ben who came up with the golden llama idea. Like we hire great people so that you don't have to be multi, like you can be multitasking constantly. Right? So I think that the idea would be that you you have if you work with great people, you give them the space to do great work or do, yeah, do great work, do better work, right? Um, because I know that I would never I would never be able to write the book. I know that I would never be able to design the book like that. I know that I would never come up with the Golden Llama campaign. But if you set if you set up if you stage the team to be to give them the space to be able to get the best work done, they'll do it if they're A players. And we're lucky at Leslie to have A players, uh, 110 of them now. And that's, that's just my approach is I know that they can do it better. The idea needs to be said, and then I need to step away. It's the same with Yellowship. It's like, and I, I would credit Scott Dorsey saying, you need to do a conference. And I was like, we need to do a conference. <laughs> and then Katie Burnett blew it out of the park. And I did not, I had, a, I had my second child the weekend before the conference, I didn't even go to our conference and it was perfect. Like nothing went wrong because I gave people space and they delivered on what they were great at because they're specialists. And that's, if you hire specialists, you can step away and, and be able to allow them to do great work. Max, do you 
attribute that to strong values, strong hiring process, all of the above? What what is it that that you feel uh, sort of cast that in motion to to have 110 A players? That's highly irregular, uh, and and I I don't think Kyle is just you know hyping things right now. Yeah, I, we I, try really you, hard for that to be true. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's not you know somebody who's not an A player here doesn't mean they're not an A player somewhere else. Sure, you know, and, and so sometimes we bring somebody in who isn't the right fit here, and it just because they're not the right fit here, you know, it's not a it's not a condemnation of them overall. It's just like this isn't working out here, and maybe we're too lax here, or maybe we're not not uh, tight enough in certain areas here. Uh, so I think it has to do with you you hire slowly. Uh, you, you once you build kind of a core nucleus of a, a culture. Um, it's hard, it's easy for the culture to reject something that doesn't fit the culture. Um, where if somebody comes in and tries to be command and control and tries to create factions or tries to, um, you know, cut down other teammates, like it doesn't fly here. You're going to really stick out like a sore thumb. You're probably going to self-select out at, at, at some point. Cause you're like the things that worked elsewhere aren't working here. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe it's just, uh, you know, we don't have everything figured out because we're small and fast growing and that might not work for you. And that might really irritate you. Mm-hmm. And you might really want a place that moves slower but has had, you know, 15 years to bake in uh, their finance philosophy. You know, it's like we don't have some things in place that we might not have for another five years. And for some people, they're comfortable with that and some people are not. So I think it has to do with a lot of stuff. Building that core, uh, core culture uh, that can, re- can show people what works here and what doesn't so they can kind of opt out or opt in. Um, do you think of that in terms of like an employer brand or employer branding? I don't think about it that way. I think about it more of just uh, every place has a has a style, and we are pretty upfront about that style. And I'm I'm pretty vocal about my expectations around how to treat one another, uh, so that when somebody feels like maybe that's not what's happening, they will raise their hand. And sometimes that person is maybe just really sensitive, and sometimes that person is dead on. You know, like some, maybe that person's having a bad day and they raise their hand because they wanted to vent about something at home through the, through, through the construct of Lessonly. Like that stuff happens all the time. Sure. You know, people, uh, everybody has mixed uh, and, and, and tough lives. And sometimes there's struggles here that aren't really struggles here. There's struggles elsewhere that are, that are manifesting here. Sure. Um, or, uh, and then other times it's like, we just didn't do our job. And I, I've made it clear that if we're not doing our job, you should raise your hand and you raise your hand and you're frustrated and you're allowed to be frustrated. You know, like the idea of Lessonly doing well should not be misconstrued with Lessonly getting everything right. It's Lessonly acknowledging when it doesn't do the right stuff uh, and, and, and owning up to it. Uh, or saying we didn't do it fast enough, or man, this should have happened six months ago. It wasn't on purpose. Is the main point. You know, it's not. It's not like we're all conspiring in the executive team meetings to make mistakes. Uh, if if it bums out a batch of employees, that wasn't our intention. I and and people know that it wasn't our intention. So when it gets to the point where somebody's like, "This is frustrating," or "I'm sad," or "I'm stressed," we talk about it, and then we'll know. And then we want to highlight those moments of this is what it looks like to make a place better. Don't expect it to just be dialed in. Expect it to help us dial it in. But if you're not communicating when something's not dialed in, you're not helping. I love that. Uh, I could probably ask you 20 more questions about uh, the culture that you've created here, but I think we'll have to save that for another episode. Um, It's always fun to talk. We appreciate it a lot. Absolutely. Always enjoy it. Uh, Kyle, we've got you on stage here at the Vogue, historic Vogue Theater in, in Broad Ripple in Indianapolis on February 28th in front of 500 plus people from the Midwest tech community. Uh, can you give us a little preview of what you're going to talk about? I mean, this this is a great preview of what we're <laughs> going to talk about, because I'm definitely going to talk about the Better Work campaign, talk about uh, 
how we've spray painted a thousand little three inch llamas to send to people and how it's worked as a campaign. So that's, that is the, that's a little sneak peek. Cool. I love that. I'm really looking forward to it and I appreciate both of you. I know you're super busy, uh, but, but sharing a little bit of a snapshot of what it's like, uh, to be inside the belly of the llama and, uh, Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) And then, uh, truly get get a taste for, uh, what it means to do better work. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, that's it for today's episode. Uh, listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. Again, I'm your host, Matt Hunkler, and I'm so grateful for uh, today's guests, Max Yoder and Kyle Lacey from Lessonly, giving us a little behind-the-scenes look at how they're using B2B marketing to create exciting growth, uh, very mission-driven, very much coming from the, the bottom up with their culture. I highly recommend you follow them. They're both uh, very generous and sharing in their knowledge, so check them out on Twitter at Lessonly at Max Yoder, and at Kyle P. Lacey, as I found out by mis, uh, attributing him on Twitter several times over the years. So to be among the first to hear about these stories uh, of these entrepreneurs, these investors, and these other tech leaders outside of Silicon Valley, subscribe to us on iTunes at powderkeg.com forward slash iTunes. And we'll catch you next time on Powderkeg Igniting Startups. Powderkeg Igniting Startups.